and welcome to She Thinks, a podcast where you're allowed to think for yourself. I'm your host, Beverly Hallberg, and on today's episode, we discuss philanthropic giving in 2020, including the most recent data on charitable giving during COVID. We'll also discuss how private giving tends to solve social challenges better than government, why donor privacy is paramount, and debate whether or not diversity and inclusion mandates in the philanthropic sector have been helpful or harmful. Joining us to discuss all of this is Elise Westoff. And before we bring her on a little bit more about her, Elise joined the Philanthropy Roundtable as president and CEO in June of this year. Before joining the roundtable, she was the executive director of the Snyder Foundation, where she defined program areas and developed a cohesive grant-making strategy. From 2009 to 2013, Elise directed major gifts fundraising for neuroscience programs at the Indiana University School of medicine. Finally, she is a member of the board of directors of the Commonwealth Foundation and a member of the Forum of Executive Women. Elise, a pleasure to have you on She Thinks today. Thank you so much for having me. Now, during December, the end of the year is when people who work in the philanthropic sector are extremely busy because so many people give at the end of the year. So I I thought I would first just kind of take a step back and have you talk to us about who typically gives. Why do people give? Why always in December? Or why is it so common in December? And just explaining what really are the drivers for people wanting to give? Well, throughout America's history, um, we have seen generous citizens of from throughout our country participating in charitable giving. Uh, they voluntarily turn to charity to help solve society's problems without external control. Um, givers are really everywhere. They're all around us. There are major philanthropists who give billions, and um, there are people who generously give uh you know, 10 or $5 to their church or to, to their local food bank. So charitable giving is an important part of the fabric of our society. And uh, people often give at the end of the year, I think for a couple of reasons. One is they're thinking about, uh, you know, it's a season of giving. And some people are prompted by thinking about reaching out to others who may be in need for, for, um, just because it's top of mind, thinking about caring for others, and also because it is, uh, it offers tax benefits. And this is a time of year where people want to make sure that they, they meet those needs. Uh, so, but we've found that, especially in times of crisis, people give throughout the entire year. And especially this year, we've seen that throughout um, COVID. So can you break down some of the data for us on giving during COVID-19, I think there's some of us who would wonder if giving is as high or as previous years or even higher with so many people struggling financially. There are a lot of economic hardships that people have in losing their businesses and losing their jobs. So are you seeing that the giving is at least at the same level of previous years and potentially even, even higher? We are seeing that. Everyone was a bit concerned when the uh, when COVID began, and we were concerned about jobs and the economy in general. But we have found that people are voluntarily giving more than ever. Charitable giving was up uh, during the fun- first six months of the year by seven and a half percent, and we expect to see that continue in uh, 2020. Charity has been critical in responding to COVID-19 relief efforts. 
And this is partly because philanthropy can really be quick and nimble in meeting needs and getting resources to those who are struggling quickly, whereas the government, as we've all seen, has been slow to respond because of some of the bureaucracy and political uh, tensions that exist. Uh, One thing that was really heartening, according to the Giving Tuesday organization, 34.8 million people participated in Giving Tuesday this year, with Americans giving $808 million online and $2.47 billion overall. This is a 29% increase over 2019's total record giving level of $1.97 billion and more than double 2018's online level, which is $400 million. So participation has included giving cash, volunteering, doing acts of kindness in the U.S. and throughout uh, 70 other countries. But America's tradition is truly special and unique. And when we think about those who are struggling right now, there is a debate about PPP loans and making sure that businesses that are forced to stop have access to funds. You talk about the importance of private giving because it's done quickly. Have you seen that there has been a big effort to help restaurants specifically across the country, at least in those specific states like New York, like California, where there have been many shutdowns, not just one. How have you seen private giving try to step in and fill in the gap since government funding isn't getting to all the right people and not nearly as quickly as needed? We have seen people step in uh, where there are gaps uh, in really significant ways. There are some really prominent stories of this um, and also some smaller ones. Uh, I, Before I came to the roundtable, I ran a family foundation in Philadelphia, and we we started our own fund just for restaurant workers and distributed um, $500 direct contributions to people who were struggling and filled out an application in the restaurant business. And I know that has been done on a much larger scale as well. So we the, the unique thing about philanthropy is that we can look at who is really struggling in the moment doesn't have the access to the government help that they need in, a, in this time of crisis and just respond quickly. And that's exactly what philanthropy has done. So what do you say to people who think we shouldn't have to rely on philanthropy to pick up the sl- slack when government sh- should actually be the ones that are doing more? What do you say to people who think that the answer is just bigger government and more funding by government to help those in need? Well, there's certainly a role for government, especially in times of crisis. Um, And we're dealing with a global global pandemic right now. So um, I absolutely believe that government has to play a role. But I think that philanthropy and government can complement each other uh, and and really help uh, enhance our response and, again, be nimble and quick in the moment. Uh, We don't believe in one-size-fits-all solutions. Um, and so one of the things that philanthropy offers us to do is look at different communities, respond to those different communities that have different needs in different ways. And so uh, philanthropy is a way to really be in touch with the needs of a community very directly. Um, many times people on the ground and those living in those communities are, are dealing with challenges, and they're the best people to devise a solution with philanthropic partners rather than only relying on government to do that. 
And one of the things you mentioned earlier, which I I think is a key for a lot of people, is that in addition to wanting to help people and doing good, there's that added benefit of a tax break, tax-deductible giving. Have there been efforts to try to change tax policy on charitable giving? And is that a concern moving forward into 2021 and, and years even beyond that? We do have concerns about various proposals that are out there that we believe would curtail or stifle giving. Um, You know, there's a lot of criticism of philanthropy. It's seen as, you know, something people use strictly for tax benefits. But what we actually see is that philanthropists are incentivized by having the ability to um, get a tax benefit um, rather than go buy a yacht, they are incentivized to give to, to charity. Uh, but that doesn't. Um, but but they're doing it because they're passionate about the things that they care about and want to invest in. And we want to help support that, not stifle it. So we um, we're particularly concerned about one proposal that's come up that would impact smaller givers, people who use um, donor-advised funds. They are really a charitable, uh, a charitable account that allows a lot of flexibility, and they're very appealing to smaller donors. And uh, there's a proposal on the table now that would significantly limit the flexibility around those and force those to pay out their funds uh, more quickly than some would like. A lot of people like to give their money really quickly out of a DAF and a donor advised fund, which we call a DAF. Um, some like to think about long-term needs of the community or thinking about involving their children and their and their giving over time. And this proposal would would take away that opportunity. There's been a lot of of pushing for, you know, spending money now for decades. And had everyone done that, we wouldn't have any money for this crisis that we're currently in. So we, we believe at the roundtable that it's really important to incentivize and encourage giving and not put into place restrictions that would limit Americans' generosity. And talking about something that may limit how people give is a topic that's come up more and more often, and that is the ability to keep your giving private. So donor privacy. Why do you find that it is essential to preserve donor privacy? Why is that so important when critics of this say giving should be transparent? We should be able to see who's giving to what, especially if there is a tax break for it. Well, the idea that because there's a tax break associated with charitable dollars, that those are suddenly public is just not, um, is just not a good premise. We believe people have the right to give to the, the causes they care about, and they have the right to do it privately if they so choose. That is something that, um, you know, money is speech, and that is protected by the First Amendment. So we feel very strongly in protecting that right. Um, they, uh, a lot of people for religious reasons choose to do their giving anonymously because it's considered the highest, uh, the highest form of giving is anonymous giving. And so we, we support that. We also support people who simply don't want to disclose the, the things that they are personally passionate about because they're in the public eye. 
And then, then there are also people who, who deal with threats of violence uh, because they care about a particular cause. And at the roundtable, we would protect anyone's right to give privately if they choose, no matter if we agreed or not with the causes that they support. So it, it doesn't matter what cause it is, as long as it is a charitable organization, uh, we believe that people have the right to give privately and anonymously. So anonymous giving, is that, are, are there sincere challenges to that where you could see that anonymity is no longer associated with private giving? Is that something that you think either on a state-by-state basis, state laws, or on a federal law could be changed in the near future if we don't fight against it? There are absolutely threats to, to this. There, are, there have been cases that have come up over time. Um, that has set precedent that donor privacy is protected and should be protected. But still, we see the threat arise again and again at the state level. And uh, the roundtable is working very hard to, to counter those proposals that are coming up in states. And uh, also at the federal level, we do have concerns that there will be calls for dis- more disclosure um, which, and more transparency. I am in full support of the government being transparent, uh, but I am not in support of private citizens having to share their personal giving with, um, with the rest of society. That's, that's not how transparency works. And I think as we're in a more polarized environment where we see people who are afraid to say who they plan to vote for, they don't want to speak up and share elements about their beliefs. Have you found that there has been, with this polarization, uh, an attempt by people to withdraw in giving because they're fearful that if it's a conservative cause, maybe they're going to be bashed or because they see the attacks that the right may have against the left and vice versa, they just don't want to wade into anything that could be seen as contentious or confrontational. Have you seen giving patterns change because of the fear of not remaining anonymous? Um, well, actually, that is one of the appeals of donor advice funds is that they allow people to put their money into this charitable account and then um, give to causes that they care about and without without disclosing who they are. So I don't think that there has been a trend downward out of fear of that. But if, if there are restrictions placed on donor advised fund that require more disclosure, uh, I think we could see, we could see that happen. And I know there are threats of that um, at both the federal and the state level that we are concerned about. So we want to prevent that from happening. I don't think it's happening now because people trust that they can give anonymously through their donor advice funds, which is one of the huge appeals of it. Final final topic that I wanted to get into is not actually a topic that I normally would think of applies to the philanthropic sector. And that is something that's grown in popularity when it comes to the business sector and government agencies. And that is our mandates, these diversity and inclusion mandates that have been a huge topic in 2020. How has this also seeped into the philanthropic philanthropic sector? And what is your take on this push for these diversity and inclusion mandates um, for leadership and of organizations? Well, I think this last year has been uh, a really, it's, it's allowed for some, some really good dialogue about important issues like racism and 
that dialogue is really important. I think we can all agree that racism is wrong and that we need to eliminate barriers for people um, of, from all backgrounds to succeed. Um, we believe in that uh, firmly at the roundtable. When it comes to mandates, we have seen in the philanthropic world a push for, um, you know, having more representation from different, uh, from people of different, uh, you know, from black people, women, uh, and people from different communities. Uh, I think we all want to create diverse and inclusive environments, but there is a push to kind of put people into certain boxes around that. I think we are concerned that, uh, you know, putting people into specific buckets like the gender bucket, the people of color bucket, the age bucket is, is not the best way to create the diverse and inclusive environments that we're seeking to create. And we also are, are worried that it's not actually addressing the core of the issue that we, we want to address. So improving educational opportunities for communities that are struggling um, getting them access to, you know, the best education they can have to succeed. And, and, you know, talking about things like criminal justice reform, how can we eliminate barriers there and make the, the make things more equal in that regard? Um, so we're seeing a push for this sort of one size fits all solution of, you know, putting people, uh, you know, putting people on boards that are diverse and, and a real pressure and push around that. And we're not, we're not thinking that's actually going to solve the issue. So we would like to create a more dialogue around that and see if we can actually make headways on the significant issues that do, that do exist in our society and, and find a really solid path forward that will make a true difference um, rather than just ending at representation of, on boards and staff. Because at the end of the day, it is about the cause that one is supporting. And I want to tie that up with one final question for you. I know that the Philanthropy Roundtable helps people think about where they should give, what causes match up with them. How, if somebody is listening to this and they say, I want to do more, I want to help, for example, use that one anecdote of helping businesses who are struggling. What is it that the Philanthropy Roundtable does? And are is this a place where people can go to if they want to think about the causes they care about and want to learn how how they can give to those. Yes. The Philanthropy Roundtable is a network of donors who shares values. Uh, we are donors want to advance liberty, opportunity, and personal responsibility. And we want to find ways to do that in the most effective way possible. So we help our donors uh, to, to locate the causes that are advancing those values in, in the best way possible and to be most effective in their giving. So we don't we, we try to encourage people to look for things that they're passionate about, things that they care deeply about, and that are also have good outcomes, are, are actually making a difference and moving the needle on the issue that they care about. So it's, it's about results and outcomes, not about um, sort of what just feels best. So we are a resource for our network of donors and, and philanthropists um, all across the spectrum and welcome people to come and, and learn about causes that are of interest in education, health, um, and, you know, policy issues, 
a, a variety of ways of giving in the philanthropic world. Well, we so appreciate the work that you're doing at the Philanthropy Roundtable and also defending the right of free speech through giving. So thank you so much for all your work and also for joining us on She Thinks today. Thank you so much for having me again. And thank you for joining us. Before you go, Independent Women's Forum does want you to know that we rely on the generosity of supporters like you. An investment in IWF fuels our efforts to enhance freedom, opportunity, and well-being for all Americans. Please consider making a small donation to IWF by visiting iwf.org backslash donate. That is iwf.org backslash donate. And last, if you enjoyed this episode of She Thinks, do leave us a rating or a review on iTunes. It does help. Also, we'd love it if you shared this episode and let your friends know where they can find more She Thinks episodes. From all of us here at Independent Women's Forum, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.